Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thank you so much for being with me here today. It is Friday, March 27th. Yes, it is almost the weekend. If you didn't know, because every day feels like a day off right now, well, now you know, yes, it is the end of the week. On today's show, I will be chatting with Rob Patterson, who is a legal advocate with the Tenant Resource and Advisory Council. We will be chatting about Wednesday's announcement from the province regarding support for renters, which does in turn provide some support for tenants. Here is a a brief comment from Premier John Horgan during Wednesday's announcement. And we want to make sure that, uh, it, it, that we do this in a way that makes the most impact for the greatest number of people. I want to reiterate, if you can pay your rent, you should pay your rent. Yeah, so the support, the support is all part of the province's $5 billion stimulus package, which includes $2.8 billion in support of individuals. Horgan says, with lost jobs and lost wages due to COVID-19, many tenants are worried they can't make rent. And of course, it's a challenging time for landlords as well. The province also announced a moratorium on evictions at the same time, except in very limited circumstances, which includes properties involved in crime. A uh, statement from BC Housing does say that people interested in this program should monitor the BC Housing site for details on eligibility, the application process, and other steps. It's expected that the information will be posted to the website in early April. In the meantime, it has halted evictions and frozen annual rent increases for all renters, effective immediately so that renters are not evicted and don't see the rents go up during this emergency. Renters will not be evicted if they cannot pay rent on April 1. It is working to roll out the rent supplement as quickly as possible. So we'll chat a little bit more with that with Rob Patterson here at around the 35-minute mark. To end off today's show, the Facebook group Caremongering Kamloops has been formed seeking to help those in need as well as share creative ways to stay sane while staying home. The group's creator said the response has been almost overwhelming and as it grew, volunteer organizers looked to better coordinate volunteers with those in need and created N2N, which stands for Neighbor to Neighbor, a web portal which matches offers from volunteers with requests from those who need help. So I'll be speaking with Gisela Ruckert, who is one of the N2N creators. And coming up shortly, I will be chatting with Will Greaves on a Assistant Professor of International Relations at the University of Victoria. We'll be talking a little bit about the United States making the decision to station less than 1,000 troops just south of a number of Canadian border crossings. But to begin today's show, I am joined on the phone by the chair of the Thompson-Nicola Regional District Board of Directors, Ken Gillis. Ken, how are you doing here today? I'm as well as can be expected, thank you, under these trying circumstances. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, you know, you were the last guest I actually had to have in studio, and, and now we're, what, two weeks later, I think, since the last time we chatted, and uh, just wanted to ask, I mean, could you have imagined at that time, two weeks ago, that we would be where we are here today? Absolutely not, and I just heard, a, I didn't hear it, I saw a crawl on the, on the CNN that Bill Gates has recommended that the United States shut down entirely for the next 8 to 10 weeks, and whoever would have expected that from anybody, much less Bill Gates. Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are probably pushing for that, uh, that step to be taken. When you're looking at the numbers right now south of the border, it's, uh, it's getting a little bit out of control, so... We'll, we'll yeah, see what terrifying. happens. Yeah. But anyways, we won't get into that right now. We'll focus on uh, what's going on with the TNRD. Um, you guys met yesterday via uh, a conference call to uh, kind of have a meeting of some sorts because we can't really meet in person right now. So I just wanted to start by asking about that specifically and, and sort of how different that was for you to meet really with a, with a phone conference instead of being able to actually get together in person. Was that a, a bit of a change for you guys? 
Well, it was certainly a change for me, Jeff. It was my first experience in my entire life with anything like that. It was awkward at times, but uh, people reacted, I thought, very, very well. And for the most part, people didn't speak over one another. They understood that you can only speak one at a time uh, on the, the telephone lines. And uh, generally speaking, I think given the circumstances, it came off very, very well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's probably the hardest part when you have 20-plus people on a phone at once is trying to get people to talk, uh, you know, in turn. That's always the, it's a challenge when we're in person, let alone on the phone. So glad to hear it worked out well for you guys. Um, so with that in mind, I wanted to talk a little bit about what you guys actually were able to discuss and accomplish yesterday. Uh, you guys were looking at a new financial plan, uh, of course, looking specifically at 2020 as well. Um, so uh, you can correct me if I make any mistakes here, but uh, from what I'm seeing, it, the, uh, a budget here in 2020 of just over $23 million, $23,068,399. Uh, that represents a very small tax increase compared to 2019. So maybe just take me through sort of what the, the reasoning behind behind, uh, you know, having that smaller tax increase was this time around. Obviously, you know, most people are looking at, at marginal increases, and you guys were able to keep that sort of, um, you know, in, in to, to a, as minimal uh, an increase as possible. Yes, and we always try to do that. Uh, the taxes are, as you point out, are going to remain very much the same. Some, I think, are up a little. Some uh, would be down a little, depending upon assessments. We did detect one troubling trend that was pointed out by our chief financial officer, and that is that the lack of industrial and uh, commercial tax base in the region is causing a shift to some extent from uh, from commercial industrial to residential. In other words, just to stay in one place, we have to shift some tax burden to the residential taxpayers. Now, this is not a major shift, and most won't notice it anyway, because new properties have come on stream, which has sort of helped to fill the gap. But nevertheless, it's a concerning trend, and we'll certainly be watching that one. Yeah, I think that's a trend that, uh, you know, most municipalities or, or districts are dealing with uh, just, you know, really across the country is, is that commercial and industrial tax base just seems to be shrinking at uh, at pretty rapid levels. So, I mean, it's not a unique problem. Were you able to, to maybe draw from, from other places that are sort of going through the same issue to figure out how you can, um, you know, try and prevent as much of that burden switching over to the tax base or to the uh, to the um, taxpayers, the, the homeowners, if you well, you know, in, in too rapid a fashion? Well, yeah, I'm not sure that we're drawing from other jurisdictions in order to find ways to cope with that. I, I fear what we're probably doing is the same thing as other jurisdictions, and that's getting into, uh, you know, into a competitive mode in order to try to attract some industry that would indeed help to fill that gap. But, you know, as we're doing that, of course, every other jurisdiction in the province is going to be trying to do the same thing. So it's a, it's a never-ending struggle. But we'll, I don't think it's a major problem at this point, and what we're trying to do is to make sure that it doesn't become a major problem. Mm -hmm. um, average residential taxpayer in Kamloops will see an increase of $2.07 per household. Uh, average residential taxpayer in the rest of the regional district will see changes ranging from uh, a decrease of $9.93 to an increase increase of $10.72. So, you know, on a grand scale, it seems pretty marginal. And, and you know, are, are you happy with those figures as they stand? Oh, I'm absolutely happy with those figures. And I think our uh, our director of finances has done a fabulous job. And it's always been our 
objective to try to keep taxes at as, at as low a level as possible. But on the other hand, nobody understands this better than you, Jeff. We still have more and more demands for services, and as those demands increase, then the, the necessity for the funding to pay for them increases. And, uh, you know, as I say, it's just a never-ending struggle, and we just do our level best to, to keep it on an even keel. Now, th this question might even be really difficult to answer, but just, you know, how unique is this budget right now? I mean, um, you know, just because we are going through this pandemic right now and these are really unprecedented times and it's really difficult to foresee how long, you know, things like, uh, you know, being really stuck in our homes could last for, um, you know, uh, how difficult is this budget to look at compared to other years? Is this just really unique and it's sort of uh, kind of tried to take it as normal as you can right now and then see how this whole thing plays? out and, and how it might affect things moving forward I'm just like how did you go about tackling this budget this time around when you're when you're passing it in the middle of a global pandemic I'm, I'm quite happy to address that um, we considered a couple of suggestions one suggestion came from uh, director rain uh, the mayor of Sun Peaks who thought that we should be considering looking at a tax decrease if at all possible uh, because of the fact that people are going to suffer, and they are really going to suffer financially before this is over. And we're aware of that, and, and that did not come completely off the table. We were, it was impossible to, be, to deal with it, of course, in, in, the, um, in, in the course of approving the budget. We were legislatively required to have that budget approved by the end of March, which is, I think is pretty close. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And so we went ahead and approved the budget, but the suggestion was uh, was made, and it will be something that you know, depending on, on the on the severity of the consequences we face as a result of this pandemic, it'll be something that we may have to consider in the future. We uh, we rejected a motion outright to try to get authority to use gas tax money for COVID-19 relief, and it was just too cumbersome and impossible to. Uh, you know, to manage I mean, what qualifies as COVID relief and right. how long would it take to get the feds to amend a policy, you know, their gas tax funding policy. It's not up to review for review until 2024. And I think perhaps they have enough to cope with for, for just now. I don't think they would be the least bit interested in entertaining changes to the gas tax policy. And finally, there's provincial and federal plans afoot right now in to and the substantial dollars being spent in order to try to deal with the financial consequences of this pandemic so I, I, we thought that would be um, inappropriate but on you know uh, on that COVID front um, there's probably no major change in our budget at this point and it didn't really have that profound an effect on our deliberations yesterday, but uh, I, I would say, you know, that it's causing us all kinds of other concerns. We've got as many people as possible right now working from home. As you know, our office building is shut down. Uh, all the essential people, uh, personnel, are still working, and we have gone to great lengths to make sure there's backups in place should anyone go down with this illness. Uh, we're concerned. And our new CAO was, I think, the first to voice this concern, or at least he voiced the loudest, about the fact that uh, that construction projects are almost the only major employers operating. 
And if construction shuts down, um, there'll be pretty well nothing left. So we're hoping that, that that won't happen. And also, and I might mention, we had a hospital, regional hospital district meeting before our uh, board meeting, so you might have a question or two about that. Um, you know, but that we want to see that hospital project continue, and so far it is continuing. I can tell you, Jeff, we've been fastidious about adhering to Dr. Body Henry's guidelines, and we certainly urge everybody in the district to be equally careful. I, I think we're going to get through this together. You know, there's no reason to panic, but uh, it's going to have a very profound and lasting effect. There's no question in my mind about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of good points brought up there, Ken, and, and was particularly when talking about those federal and provincial relief funds, I mean, those are really ever-changing, so it's hard to uh, to make a plan when you don't necessarily know what all the supports that will be coming down the line are at this time. Um, just wanted to ask you one more question while I have you here, just in terms of future meetings, um, you know, is there any plan for you guys to get together again as a TNRD Board of Directors in the near future? Are you hoping to, uh, you know, meet again on the phone, or, um, you know, I'm just curious what your your plans are moving forward just for continuing the uh, the, the process of, uh, of meeting and, and, you know, having government. Yes, thank you, Jeff. I'm, I'm happy that you answered that, or asked that, pardon me, because uh, it's something that I was hoping to address in this interview. Yes, there has been discussion of the board meeting for April. Uh, there, we did discuss the possibility, and it was only a possibility, of canceling it altogether if it came to that, because we have no idea of what we'll be faced with a month down the road. Mm-hmm. But the preference, of course, is not to cancel it, and uh, we've asked our IT people to see if they can uh, come up with a system by which we can do a video conference instead of just a teleconference as we had yesterday. And I assume that there will be ways that the press can be included in that. We certainly, you know, we were unhappy with the fact that there was no way to accommodate press in yesterday's meeting and in fact there was uh, I don't know if there was a motion passed or not I can't remember but there's certainly the discussion about making sure that the information from our meeting got out to the media as quickly as possible and that we should ask our communications people to put some extra effort into that and that certainly I don't think that came in the form of a motion but it certainly went ahead and the only fly in the ointment there that I can see is I don't think, and I stand to be corrected on this, but I don't think we're allowed to release the minutes until they've been approved by the board, and the board, of course, won't meet until the next meeting. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's no surprises in those minutes, I can assure you. Well, whether we're uh, you know able to be there in person or not, or over the phone, I suppose, maybe in the future, uh, we will definitely be following up with you to see how things go. So thank you so much for doing this, Ken. Always appreciate your time, and uh, yeah, we'll definitely catch up in the hopefully not too distant future. Yeah, we appreciate your interest too, Jeff, and believe me, in these, in these uh, circumstances where it's hard to get our word out to the public, uh, every opportunity like this is gratefully received. Well, thank you again for your time, and, and have a, a great rest of your Friday. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you stay healthy too. We need you, Jeff. <laughs> I'm trying my best. That was the chair of the Thompson-Nicola Regional District, Ken Gillis. Coming up next, the U.S. is looking to station some troops at the border. Why? Well, we'll be chatting more about that next. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. 
Welcome back to the show here on Friday. President Donald Trump has suggested bolstering U.S. military presence at the Canada-U.S. border to help guards in their attempts to catch irregulars attempting to make the move south. Here now to chat more about this is Assistant Professor of International Relations at University of Victoria, Will Greaves. Will, how you doing? I'm hanging in there, Jeff. Thanks. How are you? No, I'm trying my best to do the same. That's all we can do at this point. <laughs> Um, right. So, well, just an initial reaction here. Um, you know, were you surprised to hear this? I mean, I was shocked when I heard that there was even the potential of, of U.S. military presence along the Canada-U.S. border. I mean, it's only less than 1,000 troops, they're saying, at this point. But nonetheless, I mean, this is just a bizarre move. How, how did you interpret this? My initial reaction was surprise, followed very quickly by a lack of surprise. Um, you know, when I stopped and thought about it for a moment, uh, obviously it is a fairly unprecedented kind of move. Uh, it would be, I think, an extremely damaging one, but it, it actually isn't very surprising coming from this administration and also perhaps coming at this particular point in time. You know, I think it's a pretty clear-cut example of misdirection, frankly. It's an attempt to change the channel. It's an attempt to um, pivot to a storyline that the White House things plays better for it in the public eye and to distract a little bit from uh, what everybody's talking about, which is obviously the, the coronavirus pandemic. And I suppose when you when you put it in that context and say, it, you know, it looks like a distraction more than anything else, I, I guess I can understand it. But when we're talking about, like, one of the, the borders in the world that has had the longest, um, you know, absence of military presence to all of a sudden think about putting them there, it's, it's just a, a, a move I can't wrap my head around about why you would want to go and, and basically potentially damage a relationship that has been so strong for so long. Well, I think so. The first thing to note is that as of this morning, uh, I read just in the in the you know journalism that uh, the White House has withdrawn the proposal. So they do seem to have actually backed off in the face of uh, very forceful criticism from the government of Canada. Uh, although I'm sure there were lots of other actors and lots of other voices within the U.S. government itself that were also just suggesting pretty straightforwardly that this is a bad idea. So uh, I think that's good news. I think it's really um, encouraging actually to have seen uh, a quick reversal on this point. Uh, but to your you know, your observation, I think, is, is right on the money. We're talking about 150 years now of a demilitarized border between Canada and the United States. So going back to 1871, um, not a border that is, of course, completely undefended, as we sometimes hear. It's a, it's a border that's secured. It's a border that is well managed. It's certainly a border um, that is under a lot of surveillance and a lot of observation. Um, but it's a demilitarized border. And, of course, it's the longest bilateral border in the world. So that is a big deal. And it's 150 years in the making. And so, um, unfortunately, I mean, I don't, I don't know how else to put it, really, but there, there's a lack of respect for long-standing institutions and important social and political institutions uh, in the current administration. And so, you know, they've attacked uh, all manner of other institutions and partnerships and alliances and, and countries. Canada has not been immune to that. We've seen already a number of different, you know, examples of... Um, I would say undiplomatic language from the president uh, of policies undertaken by uh, the Trump administration that are extraordinarily damaging to Canada, you know, to the tunes of billions and billions of dollars of economic losses uh, because of the tariffs that were imposed on Canadian steel and aluminum uh, exports to the United States. The threat of ripping up NAFTA um, was, a, was a terrible threat to the Canadian economy, uh, one that it looks like we've managed to avoid, but, but only just barely, and uh, it hasn't actually been ratified yet. So you know, but stay tuned. So in that sense, unfortunately, this is more of what we've become accustomed to from the White House, which is a complete disregard for American friends and partners, um, a kind of willful, aggressive assertion of this America first idea, um, but in a way that ultimately just harms everybody involved. 
Um, not a lot of time left here, Will, but uh, do you have any fear when you're hearing, you know, I mean, this was a proposal from the president that you said has now, you know, been withdrawn, but, you know, even just hearing other comments like talking about opening things up by Easter and, and you know, ridiculous timelines like that. I mean, do you have a, do you have a fear of what, uh, you know, what could play out here south of the border? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of real concern. There was already concern about what was playing out south of the border before the pandemic hit. And this has been such a wild card and is such a, an extraordinary development because it, it just heaps fuel onto an existing fire, um, but in a really volatile and unpredictable way. So, uh, you know, a couple of thoughts that spring to mind, obviously, is how the pandemic and the social distancing and the you know economic impacts will affect the U.S. election is a huge concern. We're already seeing it ripple out in the democratic primary process. Um, but I don't think anybody should be under illu- any illusions that if this president sees an opportunity to advantage himself politically um, up to and including uh, altering or postponing or in some way tampering with the, the scheduled election in November, that this president will take that. He will take advantage of any opportunity that he's given to try to secure his, old, his own hold on power since, I mean, it, it's always worth remembering in 2016, this is the, the weakest electoral victory of an American president in history, right? There was no landslide for Donald Trump. There was an incredibly narrow victory eked out with the tiniest of margins, and we know he lost the popular vote. So this is a president who's very fearful for his re-election prospects, and in that context, will absolutely put his thumb on the scales if he's given the opportunity. And that includes, you know, inflaming an artificial fear of irregular coronavirus-infected border crossers coming over from Canada. I don't believe there's any evidence to support that that's a real issue whatsoever. And in fact, when you look at the numbers, there have been more than 50,000 irregular border crossers from the United States into Canada in the last three years, and somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,500 coming from Canada into the United States. Mm -hmm. So this is a completely artificial issue from the perspective of whether or not there are people actually coming into the United States across the northern border. It's a tiny, tiny number of people, and far, far smaller than the number of people that Canada has had to deal with who are fleeing or otherwise coming through the United States. So there's no substantive, you know, policy-based rationale for this. This is entirely about politics. It's entirely about theater. And it's entirely about the Trump administration trying to triangulate the best way to eke out another victory in November when, in the light of the pandemic, you know, on top of everything else, the prospects of that are not great. Yeah, it's uh, interesting times that we live in here, Will. Well, thank you so much for your time. I I love your insights. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on and speak to me. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up in the not-too-distant future. Thanks so much. Always a a pleasure, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Awesome. That was uh, Will Greaves, Assistant Professor of International Relations at the University of Victoria. Uh, Coming up, the province did unveil a plan to help tenants who are struggling to pay rent in this difficult time. We'll be chatting more about that after news. So stay tuned. Uh, Stay tuned for that. Text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thank you so much for tuning in here with me on Friday. The B.C. government is offering renters up to $500 a month for the next three months to ensure British Columbians affected by the novel coronavirus crisis can keep paying for their home. The announcement was made on Wednesday by the province and there are now uh, now with an opportunity to react and fill us in on sort of what some of those details are is legal advocate with the Tenant Resource and Advisory Council, Rob Patterson. Rob, thanks so much for taking the time. My pleasure. 
So, yeah, I just want to start by getting your initial reaction to what happened on Wednesday. I mean, I'm sure, you know, being a, a, an advocate with the Tenant Resource Advisory Council, you know, there's got to be some, some word that you are hearing about tenants who are a little bit afraid about being able to, to pay their rent, both not only this month, but in the months coming. Um, so I guess just, you know, how do you feel about this particular program that was announced and being able to help people stay in their homes? Yeah, absolutely. We we had heard um, from tenants across the province uh, who were concerned and reaching out to to our services for for information and for help. Sort of what the the situation was going to be, and there there is a bit more clarity. Although there are still some more questions to be answered, I think in the long term. Um, I, I think the biggest thing that tenants get out of out of the government's announcement on Wednesday is the eviction moratorium. Um, so there are. No evictions are allowed to happen in BC on uh, an ongoing basis. Um, so that's notices to end tenancy that have been issued are, are void. Uh, and those uh, landlords are prohibited from issuing them going forward. They can't use those to, to evict tenants. Um, for those that are already in the system, so where landlords have already got an order of possession or a writ of possession, that becomes a jurisdiction of the courts, and that's a different question that's being resolved. Uh, but that moratorium is, is very good because it means that tenants who can't pay their full rent cannot be evicted for not, not paying that full rent. Um, the, the $500 a month or the up to $500 a month payment by the province, um, it's also a good thing, um, but that payment, those payments actually, it's important to remember, are going directly to landlords. Right. Uh, so tenants apply for them. Uh, they're means tested so to get up so somewhere between $100 and $500, uh, and then the m- money is paid directly to the landlord. So it's really more of a landlord bailout, um, but I, th- I mean, a lot of small landlords are struggling in, in these times. Um, the other really important thing for tenants to remember now, we've heard from a lot of tenants who are living in properties where um, you know, for example, the landlord's been trying to sell, and they've been having open houses and been very concerned. Um, and that those are no longer allowed to happen. Landlords can't act, uh, exercise their right to access tenants' units anymore, um, except with the explicit consent of the tenant, uh, so people can, can sleep a little easier there. I think these measures, both the eviction moratorium and the the, guest rest, the access restriction, are super important because this is it's addressing the public health side of this issue. Um, you know, whether or not someone really deserves to be evicted right now isn't really the core question. The question is, you know, what's going to happen if they are evicted? They're going to have to uh, go into the world, try and find another home, which is going to be very difficult. Uh, but they're also going to have to interact with movers, with uh, real estate agents, with, with people in the community. And we're trying to keep that down. We're trying to, you know, it's an essential part of this crisis is that we minimize that and we socially isolate. Uh, and eviction is a great way to socially de-isolate and throw yourself back out into the world. So right. um, for the good of, of public health, it's, it's very important. And also, you know, as the, as the government has promised, no tenant is going to lose their homes because of COVID-19. Uh, and, and the measures that have been announced so far will should, you know, help that. Uh, but we think there's also some, some further things the government is going to have to turn their minds to in the long term as well. Now, uh, you know, there, with the moratorium on evictions, though, there is, you know, a very, very minimal, um, uh, you know, uh, piece in there where, you know, there are still evictions that can be made, and, and they're obviously in very extreme circumstances. Um, I think that's important for some landlords out there who say, you know, who, who are concerned about a particular tenant and, you know, what could potentially arise, whether it be illegal activity or, or drugs and things along those late lines that, uh, you know, would be caused for a, a landlord to want to kick someone out and, and having a, a moratorium on evictions as a whole would probably be an issue. So, I mean, uh, can you just speak a little bit to to that small little piece in there that says, you know, if there is extenuating circumstances that people can and still be removed from their homes? And, and do, you, do you believe that was an important thing to still be in there just for landlords as well? 
Of course, yeah, I think that is an, an a necessary balance here. Um, so the, the there's, I don't think there's been specific detailing of exactly how this will work, but the, the wording from the province is that in exceptional cases where landlords need to protect health and safety or prevent uh, serious damage to property, um, there's still an ability to apply for a hearing. I, I think that that is going to be, uh, the, the branch already has, or the, the province has a process for landlords to apply for what's called an, ex, an early end to tenancy. Um, it means where a landlord sort of has to prove that uh, there's sort of very serious risk of harm, or there's very serious stuff going on, uh, and the burden of proof is usually higher. Um, so for people in, you know, in situations where, uh, you know, a person, a tenant is putting uh, the safety of others at risk in a building, for example, um, through, through serious and, and unreasonable behavior, um, landlords can still make that application. Um, so yeah, there, there's not a, if someone's acting very unreasonably and, and is potentially causing large amounts of damage or, um, putting themselves or others or putting others around them at, at risk, uh, of with their actions, there's still that ability to apply. Um, so that is, that is the exemption. Uh, and I think it, it is a reasonable one, uh, given, given I think the concerns of some landlords who, who, who might have that, uh, sort of situations like that that they wouldn't want to be locked into. I think. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, please. Okay, I was going to ask, uh, you know, I think the other important uh, piece of this that we haven't touched on yet was the, um, the the cap, basically, that was put on any sort of rent increases. Not a cap, but, uh, you know, rent, mm. uh, landlords cannot increase their rent right now as a result of, uh, uh, well, for any reason. And I think that's important given that we don't know how long this situation could last, uh, you know, what things might look like when we do eventually come out of this pandemic. Um, you know, how critical is that, the fact that landlords, you know, coming out of this can't just come out and say, okay, well, since I've been uh, having some trouble collecting rent over these last couple of months, that now I'm going to go ahead and increase it by as much as I'm legally allowed to. The fact that they're not going to be able to do that, how critical do you think that is for people who are going to be just trying to stay in their homes? Um, who knows if they'll even have a job coming out of this? And, and the fact that they don't have to look at an increased rent bill is probably pretty important. Yeah, that's, that's very important. I mean, I think... Um uh, on the one hand, I think a, a lot of tenants are going to come out of the situation having not been able to pay their full rent, and they're going to come out in rent arrears, and that's going to be a different issue to talk about. But certainly, I, I don't think I think at this time we have to remember that the end this this crisis is going to hit everybody, and there is a way. Essentially, we have to share the burden of this, uh, and, and this is one of the ways the burden is being shared: is that you know rents are going to have to be locked at what they are for the next little while, um, and that when this is over, uh, how the province deals with that, whether it allows sort of like a, a retroactive jump up or um, or some kind of some kind of catch up feature, we we have yet to know. Um, but certainly, at the present time, tenants knowing that you know this is my rent, it's going to stay my rent, uh, you know at least for the duration of this crisis, uh, is, is some level of comfort. Um, but I, I mean, even with that in place, there are going to be, I'm sure, many people whose work is, is affected uh, by the crisis who aren't going to make their full rent payments. Um, and that's going to, I think, pose a different longer-term problem. Uh, so someone who can't make their payments, uh, you know, in April and May, uh, even if, uh, or, or some number of months, uh, if the crisis is sort of when it wraps itself up and that person is still in rent arrears, um, if the moratorium on evictions is lifted, they could, in theory, be evicted for non-payment of rent during that time. And a lot of these tenants, are, you know, we're not going to see ever recover the, the income that you lost to this crisis. Um, so I think the government is going to have to turn their minds to that in the long term. It looks at some kind of, you know, rent arrear forgiveness program or some kind of way where, you know, landlords can still... Uh, compensated at some of somewhat for the loss they suffered, but also the tenants aren't going to lose their homes because of this crisis. And, you know, um, whether that's now uh, through evictions, that's been stopped 
through the more term on evictions. But it's important that the government doesn't just punt this issue down the line so that, you know, when this crisis wraps up, we see a, a province-wide uh, wave of evictions. Um, there's going to have to be longer-term things in play, uh, but I'm sure they're turning their minds to that. Um, and for the meantime, it's important to remember that we're all in this together and everyone has to sort of bear the burden of this, of this issue um, in, in unison. Rob, uh, pretty much wraps up my line of questioning, but I did want to ask one thing before you left, you know, just in terms of the overall announcement that we heard on Wednesday and, and you know, what you've uh, been able to learn digging through that information here over the last day and a half. Is there anything in particular at this stage that, you know, maybe concerns you that wasn't addressed in this plan for either landlords or tenants or, or is there anything that, uh, you know, you just wanted to highlight that we haven't touched on yet? For sure. I mean, I think the government did a good job of, of striking the, the a rent an eviction moratorium strikes a balance between, I think, what we would have liked to see, which is a, a, a rent moratorium so that tenants wouldn't be obligated to pay rent during this period. Uh, it strikes a balance between that and, and what many landlord groups were asking for, which was effectively um, for the government to extend credits to tenants to then pay their rent with, um, which would effectively just put more tenants in debt uh, and not really provide any real release. Mm-hmm. So this is a good, I think, middle step. Uh, as sort of, sort of, as I sort of um, alluded to before, it's not a long, the long-term fix to the threat of eviction stemming out of this crisis. Um, the government's going to have to turn their minds to what happens to tenants who who aren't able to ever uh, pay back the rent that they couldn't pay during this time because of their lost employment. Um, but overall, I thought it was a very positive announcement. Uh, it's going to keep, hopefully keep people in their homes, allow them to self-isolate, help us as a province uh, address this public health crisis. Um, and, and I also was, I hope that many people will listen to the words of, of the Premier and of the Housing Minister, who called on everyone to work together, tenants and landlords, to cooperate, to be reasonable with each other, uh, and to know that we all, all are going through this together. No one is going to come out unscathed uh, or unaffected, and that we have to work together. Yeah, definitely some great input there, Rob. Thank you so much for your time. Really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, uh, thank thank you so much for taking the time to come on and speak to me. I think it's uh, I think it's some good uh, good information to get out there. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Happy to talk to you. And if any of your listeners have questions, feel free to reach out to uh, my organization at tenants.bc.ca. Awesome. Well, have yourself a, a great rest of your Friday. Enjoy the weekend if you can. Um, I know every day sort of feels like the same day at this point in time. So uh, I don't know if today feels like a Friday for you, but uh, enjoy it either way. Thank you very much. You too. Take right, care. Right on. That was uh, Rob Patterson, legal advocate with the Tenant Resource and Advisory Council. Uh, yeah, just going a little bit further on this, yesterday morning, Kamloops South MLA and liberal housing critic Todd Stone appeared on the NL Morning News. Uh, he just had this to say about this rental support program, and I just wanted to play that clip for you guys briefly. At the end of the day, I, I would I would say these three things. One, uh, we all uh, recognize that job number one right now is to keep people safe, uh, and that means working together to get through this pandemic. Um, you know, number two, I, I think we can all agree that. Uh, uh, nobody wants to see anybody lose their home, whether you're a renter, uh, a landlord, or for that matter, a homeowner. And, and uh, number three, uh, the NDP put together a, a package of supports uh, yesterday that they announced for renters. Uh, and you know, it's going to take a little bit of time here, I think, to figure out whether or not this, this uh, program is actually going to be effective. Uh, so we're going to monitor it closely as, uh, as the official opposition, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it works over the coming uh, weeks and months. And I think that all landlords and renters are sort of feeling those same feelings right now. You know, no one wants to lose the roof over their heads, especially not at a time like this. And we all need to just sort of monitor these, uh, these um, supports out there and see how effective a program like this will be. Coming up.
In times of crisis, of course, people do step up to the plate to help each other out. I'll be chatting with the neighbor-to-neighbor organizer about how that's going to help people in Kamloops who maybe need a little bit of extra support right now. We'll be chatting more about that program after this. to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for being with me here today on Radio NL. As the threat of COVID-19 looms and, uh, you know, it helped inspire a national movement to help. The Facebook group Caremongering Kamloops has been formed as a way to help those in need, uh, as well as to share creative ways for people to stay sane while staying at home. And as the number of Facebook posts grew on that page, volunteer organizers looked to better coordinate volunteers with those in need and created N2N, or Neighbor to Neighbor, a web portal which will match offers from volunteers with requests from those who do need help. I'm joined now by one of those N2N creators, Gisela Ruckert. Gisela, thanks so much for taking the time. Well, thanks for getting in touch. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, so maybe just give people a quick rundown of, of how this N2N process is going to work. Uh, you know, you've been getting some some, uh, some people calling in wanting to help volunteer their time, and, and now what happens once you put your name in that queue? Where do things go? Well, once you put your name in the queue, you'll be led to a web portal, which is an online registration form. You'll put in your contact information there, and there are a bunch of um, options where you can choose the ways that you are able to help. So most of them are online options. You can choose to offer, or, or telephone, you can choose to offer phone support or set up virtual chats or help people who are struggling to do things that they normally do in person online, but some of them are in person. So you can choose whichever one of those options works for you. And there's all kinds of things in there from, you know, offering to walk a neighbor's dog to uh, talking someone through an online ordering process. And then all of those offers will get uh, sorted out into neighborhoods. And neighborhood captains who we're uh, working with right now to get set up will see uh, what the best matches are in their neighborhood. So if you're in Barnhartdale and you're housebound and you can't get out and walk your dog, then you will have somebody from your neighborhood contact you and put you in touch with a neighbor who has offered to walk dogs. And there you go. The dog will get walked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an important thing that people uh, maybe don't think about right now. If you are one of those people who, you know, has symptoms of COVID-19, then you definitely shouldn't be going out and walk your dog. And, of course, there's all those individuals who maybe just are a little bit more limited in, in how they can go about being mobile, and, and that can have problems as well. Now, uh, I wanted to ask a little bit just about, you know, the 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 uh, support you've seen so far from the community. I mean, this Facebook group in about a week had 2,500 people join. I believe that's a look this morning. It was up over 2,700. I mean, just what does those kinds of numbers tell you about how giving Kamloops is? Well, I think Kamloops is already known as a community that steps up in times of crisis. We've seen it before during the wildfires and other times, like even sporting events, when we've needed a large pool of volunteers, Kamloops has always stepped up to the plate. So this is another example of people just realizing that there's a need and doing what they can to fill that need. It's it's really inspiring. I'm just loving seeing all the posts on the Facebook page. It's great. 
Awesome. I'm, I'm glad to hear that we're getting a lot of people, uh, you know, trying to, to help each other out. And, and you know, I think the, the, the name of the um, portal that you've created here, Neighbor to Neighbor, is, uh, is uh, just kind of fits perfectly, right, when talking about neighbors helping each other out in time of need. And, uh, you know, none more clear than a time of need than we are in uh, right now. Now, I just wanted to ask as well, while I have you here, Gisela, about sort of where this process is. So we're starting to see a lot of people put their names forward to volunteer. You guys haven't quite matched people up yet, from what I understand. So where are we in that process of getting people who are wanting to volunteer and getting them connected with those people who are in need of some volunteer help? Right. So we are currently signing up. It's wide open for volunteers at camloopscares.ca, www.camloopscares.ca. So on that um, web page, you'll see there's two buttons. One of them is to offer help and the other one is to request help. So the offer help is wide open and we're encouraging as many people as we can in the next couple of days to sign up with their offers of help there. The request button will open up after we have all of the neighborhood captains trained. What we're doing this weekend is training all of the people who have already um, who have already been lined up to do the matching of the volunteers and the requesters in their neighborhood. So we're training them on how to do that, and we want to make sure that everyone knows uh, feels comfortable in their role before we go live with the request. We don't want to have people waiting a long time to have their requests answered. So we want to make sure that our, all our ducks in a row, <laughs> all our ducks are in a row before we open up that other side. But we do expect that the request side will open up in the next couple of days. So I'm guessing Sunday possibly Monday. Awesome. Well, great stuff, Gisela. I really appreciate you taking the time and, and speaking to me and I uh, really do appreciate the work you're doing here to, to make sure people are taken care of in this time of need. I think it's uh, pretty evident right now that there's a lot of individuals out there who need a little bit of an extra hand and the programs like this that are going to help them receive that. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and, and your effort here as well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're doing it as safely as we can, so we're following all the protocols for the in-person help as well. So um, we want to offer a service that doesn't spread the virus, just, you know, help solve the problem. Yeah, I think that's pretty key as well. Well, thank you so much. Really do appreciate it. That was uh, Gisela Ruckert with uh, Neighbor to Neighbor, and, of course, that's also part of Fearmongering Kamloops. You can check out, or Caremongering Kamloops, excuse me. <laughs> that's kind of the exact opposite of what I just said. Um, so check it out, Caremongering Kamloops on Facebook if you want to help volunteer and you can also log on to kamloopscares.ca to be a part of this movement as well. Well that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me and of course a big thank you to all of you for listening and remember whether you join me for a short while or a long while just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Have a great weekend. I'll be back here on Monday at 9.